0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I'm joined today by my very good friend, Ambassador John Simon. Ambassador Simon is the founding partner of Total Impact Capital, what I would describe as a merchant bank for the impact investing world. And we're going to be here to discuss sustainable water infrastructure financing. To reach the most disadvantaged communities in rural areas, adequate infrastructure for water is going to be critical. For true sustainable infrastructure, donors and local governments and the private sector are going to have to invest in things like maintenance and establish a regulatory environment that supports certain kinds of investments in the water space. There's also been a series of new technological developments in the last 10 or 15 years that makes different forms of delivering water possible and paying for water possible, whether it's cell phones or digital wallets or solar power or concepts like micro utilities. There's been a proliferation of change in the last 15 years in technologies and in thinking about how to deliver and solve challenges of global water in a variety of contexts. So prior to founding Total Impact Capital, Ambassador Simon held a variety of posts in the U.S. government, including serving as ambassador of the African Union, He was executive vice president of the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, which is now the Development Finance Corporation. He was a senior director at the White House. He was a senior person at USAID. I've known John for 25 years and is someone who was critical in my decision to go to choose the grad school that I picked. And he was critical to introducing me to my mentor and, and our mutual friend, Andrew Natsios, who I consider one of the great heroes of our time. So today, we're going to discuss these financing approaches for water, as well as I want to talk about specifically a client and partner, Azure Source Capital, which is an initiative that mobilizes capital and technical expertise to upgrade and expand water services for underserved urban and peri-urban communities of El Salvador as a case study. So Ambassador Simon, thanks for joining us, and welcome to Building the Future with Dan Rundy.
1: My pleasure, Dan. I'm really happy to be here.
0: So Ambassador you were an executive vice president, the number two at OPEC, now the DFC. So development finance institutions are really have an important role to play. What role do they play in financing water solutions? When I was at DFC,
1: and actually since then, at the time that I was there, it was called OPEC, the Overseas Private Investment Corporation. Thankfully, that name was changed uh, to Development Finance Corporation, which I think is uh, much better and doesn't get confused with OPEC. To be frank, it was challenging to do water projects. We did a few. We provided political risk insurance for a company that was rehabilitating water systems in Ghana. It was rare that we would do large-scale water projects because as a development finance institution, we needed to finance private sector entities, not public sector entities. And in the developing world, much of the water, like it is in this country, is delivered through public sector entities. Then uh, there was significant privatization of water in Argentina. There has been some challenge, some issues around the uh, social responsibility of the of the private sector providers. Now, today we deal with both public. We at Total Impact Capital deal with both public, community, and private sector water service providers. And there are some excellent uh, private sector water service providers. So I certainly don't want to cast aspersions at the private water industry. But I would say for Development Finance Corporation, uh, which has a lot of eyes on it, people are very concerned about um, financing things in the privatization of basic needs. Providing large-scale financing to to private water service providers was certainly a challenge.
0: So there is private financing that we've mentioned, and I think there's also public utilities, but I think there's a big space in the middle, could be met by blended finance, social enterprises, impact investors, philanthropy. Talk a little bit about that. What kinds of financing tools might be available in the water space that's not purely for-profit and not purely public models?
1: So there's a broad spectrum of water service providers. And as you point out, Dan, at one end is a purely public utility, at the other end is a purely private water service company. But for instance, with one of our projects, we finance primarily water cooperatives. These are community organizations. They're not public. They're not financed by tax revenues, financed by user fees like a private company, but they're not for profit. Typically, they're owned by their users are what happens when a water community bands together to figure out how it can provide water services to its members. And that's one large part of the, of, of the water delivery system. Then their social enterprises provide water. They are for profit, but their primary purpose is not to make a profit. Their primary pers- purpose is to deliver water. And often they deliver it not necessarily through a water system with pipes, but they, they often deliver it through water kiosks. So we work with, with a company in East Africa Jibu um, that operates several hundred water kiosks in East Africa. And since COVID, they basically provide delivery of of clean, healthy water directly to people's homes, because obviously during COVID, the idea was was that people wouldn't come to the kiosk, but the kiosk would bring the water to them. That's another model. And then of course there are public-private partnerships where the system is owned by the public, but operated by a private entity.
0: John, Ambassador, if I said to you micro-utilities, what's a micro-utility?
1: A micro utility typically refers to what I would call a water cooperative. It's not a, it's not a utility that's established by a government entity. It's not a, an investor-owned utility uh, as much of the, the power system in our country is developed. It's usually a utility that's owned by the community. Uh, and that's been set up by the community, is managed by the community, and whose governance structure would include members of the community. And like I said, that's we tend to refer to those as, as community water systems or, or water cooperatives. That's typically what we finance in Central America in El Salvador
0: and Honduras. Tell us about what is Azure Source Capital, who are the Go different on. stakeholders, and what is the business model?
1: Yes, so Azure Source Capital is a blended finance facility that was created by a partnership between Catholic Relief Services The Inter-American Development Bank's high-impact arm, something called BID Lab or, or IDB Lab, total impact capital. And Azure Source Capital basically raises impact financing to provide loans to water service providers, primarily water cooperatives or community water service providers, in partnerships with technical service partners on the ground. And the critical element of what we do with Azure is that we will only finance a water service cooperative if it's received technical services that identify what would be the most effective way for it to improve its infrastructure and increase access to clean water. And that usually means putting in micrometers so we know how much water is being used by each household. It usually means changing from a flat service fee to a fee based on the amount of water used, which means that people have an incentive to conserve water. And it usually means looking at the infrastructure they have and making sure it's appropriate to what they're trying to do. So one thing that often our technical services providers do is they identify that the pumps that are being used are usually too large for the system and therefore using too much energy, which is one of the biggest costs that community water providers have. So essential elements of Azure are work with with local communities work with local technical service partners who identify what's really needed for that system and then finance those things. That has two benefits. One is it makes sure that the things we're financing are really what's required by the community, not extraneous things or inappropriate things like a water pump that's too big for the community and too expensive. But the other thing is when the communities follow these infrastructure improvement plans that are developed in partnership with these technical service providers who work under the guidance of Catholic Relief Services, then they're more likely to get better results and therefore more likely to be able to pay back the loan. And since we started making loans three years ago through Azure Source Capital, we've only had one late payment.
0: This is in the middle of COVID.
1: Yeah, it was in the middle of COVID. And at a time when many of the water service providers were seeing that their members were locked up and so for, so therefore couldn't pay. But because when you do the basic improvements that the technical service prov- providers identify, you sort of create instant cash flow. You reduce power costs you reduce what's called non-revenue water. That's water that's being used but not charged for or being stolen or being lost. You reduce the days when you don't have water available so that people have water and therefore they pay for the water and therefore they're happy to pay for the water because they know when they turn on the tap, they're not only getting water but they're getting high quality clean water. And you do all those things, and basically, the cash flow for these water cooperatives goes up, so they have the capacity to A, service our debt, and B, weather the challenges that something like COVID presents. And in fact, prior to COVID, we had several loans that were
0: prepaid. And so, Ambassador, COVID's had an impact on public financing and on governments because of what you just described. Businesses couldn't operate, people couldn't make payments. So in essence, people couldn't pay their taxes, so there was less money to pay for water from the public purse in the last couple of years. I think it's fair to say there's been an interest in sort of new models of financing water and water infrastructure because of this disruption of COVID and the impact it's had on taxes collected that would fund publicly financed water. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing increased interest in delivering water and financing water because of the COVID disruption?
1: So I think there are three things that I would say were an impact of COVID on the water sector one there was a recognition of how valuable water is for health and so and i think people always understood water is valuable for health but when you had a pandemic that was sweeping the area people focused on the things they absolutely needed and water became one of those things that was absolutely needed so when people for instance because of lockdowns couldn't go collect their water at kiosks in africa like they, they typically do our partner in africa was able to develop a model where they delivered the water to the people and in fact Even as lockdown eased, that model was maintained. And now, you know, people have recognized it's more effective for people to get the water to them instead of for them to have to bring their jugs to the water kiosk. And that idea of home delivery has continued. So I think first, there was a recognition of importance of water and the importance of finding ways to deliver water The other impact that was a challenge for us uh, during COVID is that a lot of the work of working with the community water systems, identifying what needs to be fixed, identifying what needs to be improved is work that has to happen in the field. And of course, during COVID, a lot of that field work was disrupted. So there was a big backlog of projects that now are coming through the pipe, uh, pardon the pun, should have been done previously, but need to be done now because things were held up during the COVID time. And then the third point is the one you made, which is resources have become much scarce. And, and in many situations, a lot of the community water systems we work with relied on both a mix of capital that they raised from their user fees, capital that they would borrow through our vehicle, and then grants they might get from the government. And in many instances, those grants were slowed or cut off completely. And that certainly was a challenge for a lot of the, the water service providers we work with.
0: Ambassador, given the world that we're in, what can donors and governments and impact investors and local governments and national governments, what can we be collectively doing to enable new innovations in water like Azure to flourish and scale, given what we've just been talking about?
1: The number to reach the water SDG, I don't have it on top of my mind, but I'm pretty sure it's something around 80 billion, you know, maybe it's hundreds of billions. It's a massive number. Um, so, so we have to think about how we mobilize uh, more capital into the sector and that's certainly not going to happen from purely donor funds, and probably not going to happen from purely domestic tax revenues, especially because water is such a capital-intensive sector. You need to build pipes, you need to build pumps, you need to build storage tanks, and that's all long-term assets that need to be financed over time. So we need to think hard about how we mobilize private capital. And one thing that clearly, you know, from our experience is a critical element, is making sure you do the hard work to develop investable projects at the front end. That is fundamental. And I think if you think about what you can do with donor dollars, it's certainly putting money in at the front end to figure out how to create projects that investors can have confidence in putting their money into. The second thing I think is risk reduction. Certainly that's something that we get the benefit of with Azure Source Capital and our partnership Inter-American Development Bank. Uh, Now as it turns out, water is a pretty good sector when it comes to risk. People will pay for their water. But when you're talking about high risk countries and frontier markets, there's still some risk reduction. And the last thing is I do think you have to unlock the entrepreneurial efforts of the private sector. There is a challenge in doing that. The reputation of the private sector in water hasn't been completely stellar. However, you know, if you look at the model I mentioned in Africa, the, the Jibu model there, that's a social franchise where basically they are entrepreneurial people in the communities who take on the franchise for delivering the Jibu water product to the households in that community. And in that case, it's not some big corporation that's controlling the water system. It's entrepreneurs who are being innovative and being adaptable, trying to work out how best to get their community the water they need and who are accountable to the people in that community is a model that that has allowed a lot of this gap to be filled. But we should not delude ourselves. This is going to require both a lot of the hard front end work of developing good, high quality projects and, you know, mobilizing a lot of capital and a lot of private capital.
0: Well, Ambassador, thanks so much for the time. This is really great. I think this is uh, really interesting information. If I wanna learn more, where can I go to learn more about that? We have a, a website, azurewater.org, <laughs> www.azurewater.org.
1: And of course we have information at our Total Impact Capital website, totalimpactcapital.com. Thanks, Ambassador. My pleasure, Dan.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard.